Awesome. Um, dear Lord, God, I just pray that um, as my mom speaks tonight, God, that you would just, you'd fill this place and that you'd, you'd speak through her into the hearts of each person that's gathered here tonight, Dad. And I pray that you'd, you'd just touch their heart, God, that you'd come in such a massive way. And those of us, um, those feeling like down or who have come in tonight and have not been feeling you, God, I pray that you just speak to them right now, Dad, and that you'd fill them with your love um, and your real um, pride in them, God. So I thank you um, that you are going to come tonight, Dad, and fill everyone up, Dad. And yes, so just use my mom. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Whoa. It's a bit close. Is that okay? Okay. So we, I am especially excited tonight. Guys, welcome this evening. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you this evening. And I'm extra excited because our niece and nephew are here um, from the States. They are exhausted. They did not realize we were going to just bring them straight to church. So they've had an epic journey through London via Joburg to Durban. So they've just arrived now. And they are a part of... Um, Drew's brother's family, actually told Drew the other day, I feel like they're actually my blood, but I'm going to claim them as well, but um, Drew's brother actually has 10 kids. Um, yes, 10 children, all natural, no twins. So um, Drew's sister has six. So when we go back to the States, they're like, five, really? It's not much. It's not much for them. So we're so excited you guys are here. So we have been doing, starting a series on heroes of the faith, and Drew spoke this morning, he spoke about a little bit of an obscure one called Barak, but I thought he brought out some incredible points from that, from that story, and I'm actually going to be speaking on Gideon. So Gideon is the story that is directly after the one that Drew preached on, and it's found in the book of Judges. And for those of you who haven't read much through the book of Judges, it is an incredibly rocky time for the people of God. So the pattern kind of goes like this over and over again. God's people sin. They go after idols instead of God. God allows a foreign nation to oppress them. Things get so desperate that people cry out to God for help. God sends a deliverer or a judge in this case to save them and help them rise up against the oppressors. Then the people and the land experience peace for a season. So this happens over and over again in this season of the children of Israel. Am I clicking too much? Drop it down. Okay. Thanks, Derek. Um, so in, in the story of Gideon, it, I'm looking at Judges chapter 6 first, and it begins saying that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he gave them over to the hands of the Midianites. And the Midianites were so oppressive to the Israelites that they actually had to make special shelters and caves to just survive, to stay away from them. When the Israelites would come out to plant their crops and try and survive, then the Midianites and the surrounding tribes would come and just camp there. They would attack them, they would take, they would ruin their crops. So for the people of Israel, they were completely impoverished at this time. This was an incredibly difficult season in, in the lives of the people of Israel. Now we enter Gideon. So he is supposed to be our hero. 
And you would think that a hero surely is making plans, like making plans to overthrow this oppressive army, or making plans to at least to help the people. But what we find in the opening of Gideon's story is that Gideon is actually hiding. So he is hiding, and we're going to read about it in Judges 6, 11 to 16. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Again, he says, Pardon me, my Lord. He wasn't shy about arguing with the angel of the Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in all of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down all the Midianites and leave none alive. So let's just look at a few characteristics of our hero. So we're kind of a smaller group tonight. So maybe you could give me some feedback. Are you guys up for that? You're all okay. So can you give me some descriptions of Gideon, our hero? What stands out to you from this text? Where do you think he's at? What's he like? Graham says he's a bit of a wimp. Okay, anything else? Doubtful? Yeah, absolutely. He's doubtful. Just very discouraged. And very disappointed. Absolutely. So he has heard about all these miracles that God has done in the history of his people. He is disappointed. He is consumed and overwhelmed with his circumstances and with his own weaknesses. Has anybody ever felt like that? I have many times. Feeling overwhelmed by my circumstances and weaknesses, so I can't actually see beyond them. So Gideon was in a place he could not see beyond his circumstance. He was disappointed. He even said, my clan is the weakest, and I am the weakest of my whole clan. He is questioning God's goodness, and even if God is with the people any longer. He's filled with doubt. If you are feeling any of these things tonight, and I really believe that there are some people here tonight who can relate to where Gideon's at, I want to just encourage you that you are positioned to see God work an incredible miracle that only he can do. So I believe tonight there are many heroes of the faith that are sitting in this room right now, but you just might not realize it quite yet. So what happens after this is he actually then realizes, I'm talking to the angel of the Lord. And it says in the text how he was excited that he actually survived this experience. So he was still alive. And he was still quite bold and asked him to wait. And he goes and gets um, some food to make an offering to him. The angel of the Lord says, put it there. He lights it with fire, burns it up. And then Gideon is completely overwhelmed. And what he does is he puts up an altar there to remember. And the altar says, the Lord is peace. 
So that is what his altar says. We're going to come back to that just now. So remember that. So in Gideon's darkest hour, he receives a revelation from God. He has an encounter with him. God calls out the destiny inside of him and calls out what he sees in him that is beyond his external circumstances, his potential. So you remember his words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So that's not how we would have described Gideon if we just read the text. But God speaks to the core of who he is. And what happens when he has this encounter is it lifts his head and wakes him up from his despair. So the starting point of moving from a place of defeat and despair to a place of victory is a revelation of God. So Gideon has a revelation of God. He has an encounter with God. And because of that, it opens his heart to have hope and to see beyond his circumstance and his weaknesses. And it gives us a vision. It gives him a vision of God beyond himself. And then it opens up an environment where actually the peace of God can grow. And God can do his work. So now revelation is not just for the sake of revelation. So how many of us have had incredible times at conferences or just meeting with God? And these things can happen over and over again, but actually we don't always see much change. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we have these incredible encounters and then we don't see change in our life. But that is because revelation always requires a response. So it's not just revelation for revelation's sake. It always requires a response from us. So I just want to give you a few quick examples. So for years, I wanted to skydive. And I would talk about going skydiving, and people would say, oh, you want to skydive? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to skydive. And I was feeling all brave. And then we had a friend of ours visit from the UK who was taking his wife skydiving. And then he said, oh, if you guys want to go, I'll pay for one of you. And then all of a sudden, the reality of skydiving was quite different from bragging about the possibility of skydiving. So now I was overcome with fear, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been talking about this for so long. I have an opportunity, and now I'm scared to death. So I did it. It was amazing. But the point is, the reality was very different from the thought of it out there. Another example is um, Drew and I used to go to these incredible mission conferences probably when we were kind of late teens, early 20s, and they were radical. So these guys were sending people to the nations, to the 1040 window, to these hectic countries. And every time we are there, we are talking about the nations, we are praying for the nations, we are wanting to be in the nations, but we just, we kept going to these conferences. And finally, that had to turn into some kind of response for us. And from that place, that's where we decided to leave the States and go to the UK. So that was our moving. So does that make sense? So you're having these revelations, these incredible revelations, but eventually there has to be a response from us. God calls us to respond. So Gideon, Gideon had to respond. God had a calling for Gideon, and a revelation was only the beginning, was the beginning of his calling. Let's read what happens next. So I'm just going to read it out loud. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to it. But we're in Judges 6, 25 to 27. And it says, that same night... So what's interesting, he has a revelation, an encounter with God, and he doesn't wait a while for him to kind of process this revelation. He actually says, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. 
Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So Gideon's first response, his act of obedience, what I find interesting is that it wasn't, he wasn't immediately sent out to tell the people of Israel, stop worshiping other gods, it's time to gather, we're going to rise up against our oppressors. He actually tells him, you need to deal with the idols in your own family. So he commands him to cut down the idols that are in his family. So when God calls us, when we have a revelation of him, often the first thing we have to deal with is the idols in our own life, is the idols in our own hearts. And this was not easy for Gideon. He was afraid, and he was so afraid that he did it at night. So when God asks us to respond to revelation, it will normally not be easy but it often has to do with cleansing our own hearts first. We have to become right with God. Our idols have to be taken out so we can be free to live in faith. Okay, let me just give you another in, an example. So we have had an interesting ministry journey. So often we have ended up in the place where we have not wanted to go or we have said we are not gonna go. So do you guys know that? Don't ever say, I'm not coming here, or I'm not going there. Uh, not that God, that, you know, we don't believe in superstition, doesn't jinx anything, but there were often times where we said, we actually said we're not going to come to South Africa, and we are here. Thank you, Jesus, because we love South Africa. We were living in Peter Marisburg, working with the church for about three years, and praying about the next step. Now, in my mind, I always felt like being radical was going up into Africa, was living in a hut, was... That was what radical was. And every step of our journey, God provided these like beautiful places for us to live. And I was like, Jesus, this is not very radical. Come on. So now I'm in South Africa. We're praying. We're trying to meet with all these people to try and go up into Africa. And now we were part of New Frontiers at the time, and they wanted a church planted in Durban. And I was like, oh, I do not want to go to Durban. We would drive through here to go to the beach. It was busy. It was crowded. I did not like Durban. So I actually said, it's mostly me. That's the problem in this process. I actually said, no, I really don't want to go to Durban. Anyway, so we had this whole journey. And we had one point where we were really seeking God together. And, and Drew said, I feel like we, because sometimes, let me just say this quickly. Sometimes our dreams, what we think our dreams are, what we're called to, can get in the way of obedience to Jesus. So when that becomes higher than actually just following God and being surrendered and obedient, then sometimes you can have a little bit of an issue there. So Drew said, I feel like we need to come back and just ask God, God, what do you want us to do? What would be best for New Frontiers? What would be best for South Africa? You know what, let's lay aside what we feel like, which was up into Africa. And as soon as he said that, God dropped in my heart, you're going to Durban. I was like, oh, I could not believe it. But I knew this is what God is calling us to do. So God had to work on my heart. He actually had to work on this idea I had of being radical is somewhere out there or somewhere up into Africa where it feels rougher. But actually being the most radical we can be is when we are the most obedient to Jesus, wherever that is. So being radical means being obedient. So God is still teaching us that.
So we have to be free from idols so we can walk in true faith. True faith in God. When the men of the city woke up to see the altar was destroyed around their family, the altar of Baal was destroyed, they came looking for the perpetrator and they wanted to kill him. And Gideon's father actually had to protect him and say, he kind of just said, well, if Baal is offended, Baal will deal with it. Just let him deal with it. Um, to the point where they actually changed Gideon's name to Jeribah Baal, which just means let Baal contend with him if he is offended. So the response that was required of Gideon was actually a public display. It was a public display that said he would not put his trust in idols any longer, but he would put his trust in God alone. Perhaps some of you are here tonight And God is saying, it's time to tear down some idols in your heart. And sometimes we don't know those idols are there until God asks us to let go of them. And if that starts being really difficult to let go of, or if you have a super strong reaction, you have to ask yourself, am I relying on this thing? Am I trusting in this thing more than I'm trusting in God? It encourages me to see that Gideon was afraid, but he still obeyed. So the point in our lives is not whether we're afraid or not to obey. It's if, will we obey in spite of being afraid? Will we do what God has asked us to do? So Gideon, he had a revelation of God. He responded in obedience. Now he has to walk it out in faith. So this is, this is the fun part. So the Israelite enemies, they begin to gather again. They begin to come and camp near them. And after he took the step of obedience, he tore down the idols. Then it says in verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. The ESV says um, of the first line, says, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Isn't that amazing? I love that picture. So the spirit of the Lord clothed him. So God had asked him to step out of his comfort zone. God had asked him to step out of actually what his family was doing, of who they were worshiping. God had called him out. But when God calls you out, he does not leave you vulnerable. He does not leave you uncovered or naked. He clothes you with his spirit. He anoints you with his spirit. I love that picture. His idols were broken down which freed him to trust in God alone. But God did not leave him in that place alone. He clothed him. So walking in true faith and anointing in what God has for you comes after that first act of obedience. He was anointed when he stepped out. So his enemies are gathering and his people are responding to this call to fight. Then Gideon asked for more confirmation. Many of you might know the story. So I love it, because Gideon just is not shy of asking. He's not shy of arguing with God, telling him how he feels. He's not shy of asking for a sign again and again. And so he asks, he says, Lord, please give me a sign. So he says, he puts a woolen fleece out on the ground. And he says, in the morning, please may the ground be dry and the fleece be soaking wet. And if it is, then I will know you're actually calling me to do this. 
So Gideon wakes up the next morning, and that's exactly what happened. The ground was completely dry. The fleece was so wet, he could squeeze it out into it, and it filled a bowl with the water that was in it. But the ground was dry underneath. Amazing, amazing miracle. But that wasn't enough for Gideon. Gideon's like, please, just one, one more, one more. He said, don't be angry, one more. So he asked for the same thing, but like in the opposite way. So he said, may the ground be wet, but the woolen fleece be dry. And God is so patient with us. He is so patient when we ask him again and again for a sign. So it happened again. He woke up the next morning, the exact same thing happened. So Gideon has seen these incredible signs. The tribes of Israel are gathering to fight, and I'm sure he's feeling a bit more confident at this point. But then here comes an interesting twist for those of you who have not heard the story. Judges 7 says, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So listen to this. 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. I mean, that is like, that is hectic. <laughs> 22,000. That is a lot of your army that is just left to fight against an army that they said was so huge, was so massive, it looked like locusts were just covering the ground. You couldn't even count them. So now he's got 22,000 less than what he had. Why in the world would God do this? Why would he, why would he say to him he's got too many men? Well, in the verse above, it says God wanted there to be no doubt that it was his strength that delivered Israel. It wasn't their own. So how many of you know we cannot deliver ourselves? We cannot deliver ourselves in our own strength. It is only God. And God wanted it to be incredibly clear. Okay, so not only that, 22,000 had left. The army, you know, it's nothing compared to the enemy army, but it's still fairly big. So then God says, actually, it's still too big. There's still too many people. So he has, says to Gideon, take the men down to the water, have them drink. This is so random. This is so funny. And the different ways they drink is how I'm going to separate them. So the men that drink like lapping like a dog, those are the men that can stay in the army. So 300 stay. So now he's got only 300 men. And he is seriously in a place of walking by faith now. Now, this is such a beautiful part, so I love this part. So now he's got 300. He's supposed to go in and defeat the Midianites. That are probably hundreds of thousands. It's massive. So then in Judges 7, this is what God says to Gideon. So God says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying, and afterwards you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and his servant Pura went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley and they were thick as locusts. Their camels could not be counted, no more than the sand in the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So this is the enemy armies talking. And the man says, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. 
God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So when Gideon heard the dream, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp and said, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. I don't know if I would have gotten that exact interpretation from that dream. But Gideon was so encouraged. And what was amazing to me is how God walked with Gideon through this journey of faith. So he has shown him a number of miraculous signs by this time. Now, he does just have 300 men that he's supposed to go in and defeat his enemies with. But God says, if you are, because he went, he brought his servant with him. So God is so patient with us. He walks with us. He journeys with us. And because he went down and heard the interpretation of the dream, his response was worship and courage. His heart was filled with courage than to do what God had called him to do. Some of you know what happens next, but I'm going to tell you. So Gideon gives, gives each man a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch inside. So this would not be my weapon choice, but this is what Gideon gave everyone and instructs them to follow his lead. So they surround this massive army at different points, only the 300 men. And at his cue, with Gideon in the lead, they blow their trumpets, they smash the jars while shouting a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And in all the noise and confusion, the Midianites turn on each other with their swords. Many of them kill each other. Those that don't flee with Gideon and his army pursuing them and then ultimately destroying them. I mean, this is no doubt only God. Only God can do something like this. Then in Judges 8.28, it says, Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. And during Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. So do you remember his altar at the beginning? After he had an encounter with God, the altar he set up said, the Lord is peace. So God gave them peace through this victory. So the way Gideon went from being a person who was hiding, who was feeling overwhelmed, disappointed, and could not see beyond his circumstance, to a place of an army captain leading leading his army into victory, a hero of the faith that is actually mentioned in the Bible that we are now reading about in modern times, is that he went on a journey from revelation to response and then to faith. We all have to take this journey. We are all on this journey. And I just wonder where you're at this evening in your journey. Perhaps you are where Gideon was at the beginning, perhaps full of fear maybe overwhelmed with your circumstance, as we reach the end of 2019, perhaps you are feeling like, I mean, it's a little bit clear about what we're going for next year. This is what Jesus is saying. But perhaps you feel like, I actually don't have anything else to stand on after the year that I've had. I believe God wants to give you a revelation this evening of the Lord being your peace. And as we lead up to Christmas, as we lead up to the ultimate hero of the faith, It's when we celebrate the Prince of Peace invading our darkness. We celebrate the Prince of Peace invading our world, our circumstance, and our perspective. He wants to meet you as the Prince of Peace this evening. Or perhaps you're on that next step where you've had a revelation of God, but he's waiting for your response. He's waiting for that step of obedience. Is there an idol in your life that you need to let go of? 
Is there an idol in your life that you need to cut down, that you need to deal with, so that you can be anointed for that next step, that next journey, that next calling that God wants to bring you into? And then perhaps you are already out on this tightrope of walking in faith, hit a bit of a wobbly, or God has asked you to do something crazy like he asked Gideon. Because sometimes we can be built up in the Lord and we can be feeling confident in the gifts he's given us. Those are good things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus asks us to do something that's actually a little bit beyond ourselves or a lot beyond ourselves where we do not feel confident in ourselves to do it. Let God encourage you. He is with you on this journey. He is walking with you. And these steps we take in faith is are the steps that we take in order to learn to have mature faith and trained faith. And there is a lady named Lilius Trotter that I keep talking about. I've been talking about her for about two years now. And she is one of our heroes of the faith at the moment. So Drew and I read most of the stuff that she's written. So she was a lady who served um, in Arab North Africa in the late 1800s. And a radical, amazing woman. But she says this, and I love this quote from her. She says, Trained faith is a triumphant gladness in having nothing but God. No rest, no foothold, nothing but himself. A triumphant gladness in swinging out into that abyss, rejoicing in a very fresh emergency that is going to prove him true. The Lord alone, that is trained faith. So if you look at the heroes of the faith and the miracles in the Bible, God is more often than not using the weak and the flawed and the people that feel overwhelmed and not very confident and in possible situations to do absolutely extraordinary things. So I want to encourage you, whatever stage you are at in your journey, God is with you and wants to use you. And he wants to get us into that place of our faith journey, of our revelation, of our response, and of our walking in faith to where it becomes a trained faith, a mature faith that can say, the Lord alone, the Lord alone, that is all that I have, that is all that we have to depend on. So I wonder if we could spend just a few more minutes praying. Is that fine? Are you guys okay? Could I ask the band to come back? even just a few, and just, just play a little bit in the background because I feel like Jesus wants some of us to respond. So I feel like some of what he wants to do requires a step of faith, requires a response. And we want to give an opportunity for prayer. We want to give an opportunity um, for people to come and just allow Jesus to deal with whatever's going on in your heart. So I wonder if we can all stand together. And if the band can just play behind us, I'm just going to give us a few minutes. And as the band is playing, I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to ask Jesus, ask him, where, where am I at on this journey of faith? Where am I at? Do I need a revelation of you, Jesus? Am I t- completely overwhelmed? Do I need to take a step of obedience? Do I actually know what I need to do? But I need to take that step of obedience. Or do I need encouragement from Jesus to keep walking in faith for this next step? So I'm going to pray for us.